But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Ryan, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Uh, do keep the Bibles open so you can follow along. And there's also a handout on your tables, which you can follow along. Well, if you're just joining us for the first time and you're here, again, very warm welcome to you. But just to explain why we meet every Thursday and why we run the talks here, it's really for one big purpose, is to encourage a number of you guys who are Christians to see your workplace as your mission field. Uh, so why do we go to work? Uh, there are a few good reasons. You go to work uh, to earn money. Uh, it's just what people do. And maybe you really want to refuel. You really, really enjoy your work. And those are all really good reasons. But what we want to encourage you to think is that the ultimate reason is that God has put you into your office and is for you to become a witness for him so that your office floor can hear about the good news of Jesus but I think one of the big challenges to see your office as your mission field, I think, is Carl. Individuals like Carl, they have big obstacles to help you view your workplace as your mission field. Well, let me tell you about Carl. As some of you know, um, I used to work on a sales role on the trading floor in a bank that was on the level 41st floor in the building. Imagine it's just a normal day in the office. Uh, people are getting on with their work. And out of the blue, you hear in the far side of the room, you hear Carl. What the? Are you stupid? That's Carl. Uh, he's a proper BSD or a wolf on Wall Street type character. Uh, he's not one to keep his opinions to himself. And he's really talented in stringing curse words together. And so when you hear this phrase, your, your office is your mission field. Um, and you, you wonder, uh, mission field? What mission field? All you're trying to do when Carl is shouting in the background is to stare at your screen and not to make eye contact with anyone. And maybe you know Carl in the office. Or maybe you know a more refined version um, of Carl, someone who's less vulgar but much more cultured but no less hostile. Again, such individuals uh, makes it impossible to view your workplace as your mission field. 
So as we look around to your office floor, or even the industry that you're in, the ground is hard, it's rock hard. It seems hopeless, impossible. And what's the outcome? Now we stare at our screens, we don't make eye contact, and we stay silent. And so let me ask, what would it take for your office floor to turn to Jesus? What would it take for your office floor, for someone like Carl to turn to Jesus? Well, in our time in Isaiah, we have seen that Israel uh, is hard ground. If you're just joining us, we've been in a series in Isaiah, and Israel has been described as hard ground. And who is Israel? They are God's chosen people formed by him. They saw great miracles. They had his law, yet they turned to idols. And if your office, your floor is hard, Israel is impenetrable. You see, Isaiah describes them as blind and deaf. There are people who have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't understand. And so even if God had come into the flesh and performed great miracles in front of them, they wouldn't have perceived. They wouldn't have understood. And so the issue that we have in Isaiah is the same issue as we have today. What would cause Israel to finally turn to the Lord? What would open their blind eyes? What would unblock their ears? And so if we have an answer to Israel, well, we have an answer to the office floor. And so today's passage, and I'm not sure you realize, we've come to one of the most important promises in the whole of the Old Testament. It is a passage of monumental significance. It is the new thing that God has promised back in verse 19, by which its fulfillment would change the course of human history. It's an important, really important passage. And so what is that promise? Look at verse 3 in Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on thirsty lands and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offsprings and my blessing on your descendants. But we just have one point for our talk today, that God will pour out his spirit. Look again from verse 1. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord, and name himself by the name of Israel. Well, last week, um, there's a structure on your handout on the, on the flip side. And the thing to know is that we're coming to the end of the closing end of the central section of Isaiah. And it's a real climax of what is happening in this section. Do you notice in our passage how God addresses Israel? I look at verse 1. My servant, 
my chosen. First to the one who made you, the one who formed you. And he repeats again, my servant, my chosen. It is a climactic moment in this section where God is addressing Israel. And what will he do? Look to verse 3 again. For I will pour water on thirsty lands and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Well, I hope my wife, Matilda, forgive me for this. She's a woman of many talents, but one talent that she does not have is having a green thumb. Any plant that you give to her, she kills. But we do have one surviving plant at home, which is an orchid. Uh, and it was once away on holiday. Uh, she totally forgot about it. And when we got back, uh, the soil was completely dried up, completely cracked up. And the orchid was as good as dead. But you know, orchids are quite hardy um, plants. And so after watering, amazingly, after a few days, the orchid well, it came back to life. Well, as you can tell, I have quite limited horticultural experience and maybe your own illustrations to really capture what's happening here. But it's a tiny picture of what's happening here. You see, people uh, in the future, offsprings to come, they're likened to the dry ground in this passage here. They are all cracked up and dried up. Look at verse 3. I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. But more than a single orchid reviving, there will be an explosion of life. Look at verse 4. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. You see the parallel there? God's spirit will give life to dry, stony ground. He will not hold his spirit back, but he will pour. He will drench. He will soak his people with his spirit. And it will be God's spirit, his own spirit. I will pour my spirit on your offsprings. God, he will pour out his spirit. And we cannot underestimate uh, the significance of what's being promised here. I'm not sure how much you know about the spirit in the Old Testament. It's always associated with life-giving. It's part of the creation, creationary work of God in Genesis, but also wisdom. Uh, judges and kings, uh, they will lead the nation and they would have the spirit. But also really importantly, speech. Uh, those with the, the prophets, with the spirit, would speak truth about God. Well, however, in the Old Testament, the, the impact of the spirit seemed to be limited or limited in number. Only a few people had the spirit. And Moses, the prophets, some kings, and also limited in duration or the spirit where it can be taken away like Saul. But here in verse 3, the impact, oh, it's unlimited. It's an unlimited quantity, not a trickle, but pour. God will pour out his spirit and unlimited in number, not a select few, but upon your descendants and your offspring. It is a revolutionary promise. And what is the effect on people? And notice what happens in verse 5. This one will say, I am the Lord's. 
Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. The one who is deaf will not only hear God speak, he himself will call out, I am the Lord's. The one who is blind will not only finally see the works of God, he himself will show it. He will write it on his hand, the Lord's. It's a total transformation. And so that is the great and final thing that will turn Israel, hard ground, to the Lord. It is a great moment where God pours out his spirit. This is the solution to dry ground. That is the salvation of blind and deaf people. I think that leaves us with the question, well, when is this great moment happening? When will God pour out his spirit? Well, the answer to that is today, this very moment, as I speak, God is pouring out his spirit. You see, the promise of God pouring out his spirit started here in Isaiah and was taken up in letter prophetic expectations. Specifically, the, the promise in Joel, the prophet Joel, in chapter 2, he writes, It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the inauguration of the age of the spirit, well, it began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, Peter, he stood up to speak and say, This, that is to Pentecost, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the moment Jesus, he ascends into heaven, he pours out his, his spirit and he marks the start of a new age. See, God, he has poured out his spirit and he continues to do that today. And it's worth being absolutely clear here. What does it mean to have the spirit? Well, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian here today, you might think this idea of the spirit is quite strange. And Christians, I think, across the world have lots of funny ideas about what the spirit is, and spirit as a second blessing. But that is just wrong. It is not a second blessing. It's not primarily about miracles, about speaking in tongues, seeing signs and wonders. It is as simple as verse 5. If you can say, I am the Lord, if you can confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you have the Spirit. If your colleague asks you, Ryan, are you a Christian? And you say, mm, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. That proves that you have the Spirit. It is as simple as acknowledging Jesus as Lord. But it's also as miraculous as acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Because all of us here, once deaf and blind, no interest in spiritual things. And then God has poured out his spirit. And today, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you have his spirit. It is a miraculous work. You see, God, he has. He has poured out his spirit. And before we think about our offices, and we need to really, really grasp 
the moment that we are in today. See, ever since AD 33, in the ascension of Jesus, Pentecost, we have been in the age of the Spirit. We have been in the days where God's Spirit is being poured out. Of course it has been. Think about who Isaiah was speaking to. Israel, say 50,000 people. Israel's God see nothing more than a local deity. Today, 2.2 billion people recognize Jesus as Lord. Of course, of course his spirit is being poured out. Think about it. Before, people in Britain worshipping pagan Norse gods, god of Thor uh, from, from Norway, I guess. And to think that Britain has ever been labelled as a Christian nation. You see, God indeed has been pouring out his spirit. We are in a unique time in history. This is the last days, the age of the spirit. And so what does this mean uh, for our officers? What does it mean for you as you go back to work or the industry that you are in? Uh, you might be wondering, uh, you look at the people around you, is it even possible for life to spring out of dry ground? And then you step back into the office and you hear Carl shouting his head off at the back of the office again. Well, I'm not saying that immediately all fear is gone. I wonder whether less fear is not a good outcome from today. See, you have been armed with the knowledge to understand the age that we are in. We are in the age of the Spirit. And if God could turn the heart of Israel, he can turn the heart of anyone in the office. So fear not. Look at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. That is God's proclamation of himself. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He stands at the beginning and he stands at the end. He is over time. He controls it. So fear not. He has already determined how history will play out. But also fear not. Look at verse 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from all of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. God foreknew that his spirit would, be, would bring forth witnesses. God foreknew that you'd be in Rothsay or in, or in PwC or in KPF. God knew and he has given you his spirit. And so if you have Jesus on your lips, you have his spirit and you are his witness. So can I encourage you uh, to pray really big and really bold prayers for your office, that God indeed would pour his spirit on people there. And as you're doing so, grab a big bunch of flyers for our caravan and, um, and put it on people's desk. And so who knows? Uh, perhaps someone even like Carl, uh, who with all the vulgarities um, that comes out of his mouth, uh, one day he might say, like the guy in verse 5, I am the Lord's. Why don't I pray?
God says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Father in heaven, we praise you that you stand before time and you stand at the end of time and you control all of history. And so we do give you great praise that you have poured out your spirit and we are in the last days where your spirit um, is going forth into people. So we do pray that you give us real confidence as a result of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.